You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? It is good to be with you. Glad that you guys are here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. To the book of Mark, we are on a journey verse by verse to the book of Mark. This is our first chapter, our first part of that series. This is season one, if you will, and we are calling it The Arrival. So we're in the book of Mark. Uh, If you find the New Testament, Matthew is the first book, and then bam, Mark, the second book. So you can turn there. Uh, I want to begin by just thanking Ronnie. Ronnie, our new pastor here, our family life pastor. Did he not do an awesome job last week? Seriously, big thank you to Ronnie. Uh, What you may not know is that he and I, we actually got to switch pulpits last week. And so I said, hey, can I preach to students and you preach to the adults? And we switched and we just had an awesome week. So he did a great job here. All of our teenagers now think that I'm crazy. I should say they know that I'm crazy. And uh, we had such a good time. And so this is a highlight of our week, getting to open up our Bibles. And this is it, man. This is going to change our lives. This word right here, this message, as we unpack it, this is like food for our souls. La comida para mi alma. See, see. Okay. I'm learning Spanish. We have a lot of Spanish speakers in here. No, don't shake your head at me. I was good. La comida para mi alma. La palabra de Dios. So we're in Mark chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want you to imagine that the alarm clock is going off at 6.45 a.m. Jerusalem Standard Time. And yet Peter's mother-in-law has already been up cleaning for the last two hours. The house is wrecked. She had never seen so many people in her house. There's trash everywhere. Furniture is broken. The fridge is ransacked. And where is that stinking remote? Why is there a sandal in the toilet? It's only been a couple of weeks since she jumped out of her sickbed completely healed and started playing hostess. And here she is again. She steps into the living room and the sunshine from the sunrise starts to shine into the home, but not through a window. Friends, light is coming through the roof. She groans, my roof, my poor roof. They literally raised the roof. Who breaks a roof? They warned her when she had old boys. She expected a wild ride, but last evening was unlike anything she ever imagined. This wasn't your typical house party. This wasn't that community group where everybody on the roster decides to show up at the same time. Last night was the strangest, yet greatest, most amazing thing she had ever hosted in her house. She'd be working all day to get the house back in order, but if you were to ask her, she would do it again a thousand times because yesterday... Jesus was in her home, and he showed them all that he was way more than they could have expected. And so for the next few moments, would you like to see what happened in her home? Would you like to be a fly on the wall at this party? All right, that's where we're going. Mark chapter 2, we're starting in verse 1. This is God's word for our church this morning. Here we go. It starts here. And when he returns to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pause our story there. Let's go back to the beginning. Jesus is here, and he has packed the house. He's back at his home base in Capernaum. You know, most scholars believe that he's uh, kind of doing his operations out of Peter and Andrew's home. And so he's here, and the place is packed out. There is standing room only. It's said here that many were gathered together. And so what has them gripped? What has captivated this audience? What has this place packed out? Are they here because there's another marathon of healings going down? Is Jesus exercising more demons? Is he confronting the powers of evil and darkness? Why is it that they are crammed into this room this morning? Well, the author tells us they are here because he was preaching the word to them. They're in here gripped because he's communicating his message. Well, what's his message? What, what is his sermon? We've seen him preaching in the synagogues. We've already heard it. We've seen him wandering in the wilderness, communicating his message out there. And so now here he is again, and he's in a home. And as it's packed out, as people are standing in the doorway, as people are leaning in through the windows to try to hear him, he starts to tell them this story. And he's telling them the story about how God, he has not turned his back on humanity. That God has not left us up to our own devices, even though we deserve that. Instead, God is so full of love and mercy that he moves near to our brokenness. He continues. He starts telling them the story how God, he is about to invade this world in a powerful way. And he is about to establish a kingdom. And every human being who is tired of the pain and the brokenness of the kingdom of this world, good news, they can now come. And as citizens of this kingdom, we can experience life the way that it was designed to be lived. We can experience a world, an order of things that is marked by righteousness and wholeness, where the broken things are put back together. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. We can live life the way that it was designed to be lived in this kingdom because we're living under the rule and reign of God's perfect king. And so he's telling them this story. And you can, you can almost picture people on the edge of their seats and they're, and they're leaning forward and, and you can almost see the thought bubbles pop above them as they go, where is this kingdom you could feel the yearning and the longing of anticipation as they are glued to their spots. And it is resonating. This story is resonating so deeply that it says there was no more room, not even at the door. How do we enter this kingdom? Jesus, where is it? Yes, please, how do I get there? And Jesus, he concludes his story about the kingdom with an invitation from the king. And he says, you want into this kingdom? Pivot. Pivot. Turn. Stop trying to live your life where you rule and reign. And instead, turn and come to the king. And they are enraptured, right? They are enthralled by the message of this kingdom. They are fixated by the invitation of the king who is standing before him. 
They're in there packed out because he's preaching the word. Let's pause for a second, friends. I want you to know, East Point Church, that this message is still packing out rooms and it is still moving people's hearts. The news of this kingdom and the invitation of the king, it is still transforming people's lives. Here we are a couple thousand years later, and everywhere that this simple story is told, it is still leaving a a blast radius of transformation and faith. It is birthing faith in people as they long for this kingdom and they dare to believe in the king. It's the word. You see, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, the dudes that you work out with at the gym, they're not looking to be entertained. They're not looking for your political opinion. No one in your life is going to be transformed by your bumper stickers. No one in the history of Facebook has ever been transformed by your monologues. Our community friends, they're looking for something real. They're looking for something genuine. They are looking for the biggest story possible with which they can make sense of their lives. And it's this story. May we never tire of this message. May we, East Point Church, be like a radio tower on the eastern shore, right? But we only have one song that we play on repeat, day in, day out. There's only one thing we broadcast here, friends, and it's the story of the king and the kingdom. And for decades to come, as we continue to faithfully communicate this message, We're going to see by God's grace he will continue to pack out homes and pack out rooms and change people's lives. Amen? That's what's happening here. And so Jesus is here. He's preaching the word. The place is packed out and faith starts to bubble up in people. Faith starts to bubble up. And we know this because true faith always spills over into action. And so we can see, literally we can see their faith because right here they start to respond. We see here in the room that there's a man, they call him a paralytic. He can't walk. This is a man whose legs don't work everywhere he goes. He is carried on a mat by other people to be transported. And so this man is here and as he listens to this story as him and his friends, as they hear the simple message, this gospel, this good news, they're moved and, and, they're, and faith wells up and they go, I believe, I believe and say, we need to get to Jesus. We need to, we need to get to him. I believe in his kingdom. But there's a problem. It says here they could not get near him because of the crowd, right? It's not very nimble or easy to get to, through a crowd with a, with a carrying mat, right? And so I would love if I could be a fly on the wall in that brainstorm session, right? They huddle up, and they're like, all right, break. We need to get to Jesus. Options, go, <laughs> you know? And one guy's like, uh, what if we use the mat as a battering ram, you know? And they're like, ah, nah, too risky. What if we pull the fire alarm? And everybody runs out of there, right? And then we'll catch, nah, it's too risky, what if we crawled under their legs through the crowd and we pop up in front of Jesus and the paralytic's like, really? Thanks, man. And then the one guy, oh, the one guy gets a look on his face, you know? Ladies, you know that look on your husband's face where he lights up and he's like, I just struck gold, you know? And you're like, uh-oh, here it comes, right? And he's like, bro, bro. And all the people are like, what? Tell us. And he goes, bro, the roof. <laughs> And they're all like, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, it could work the roof. Come on. They start, and the paralytics line, they're like, uh, oh, guys, hey, hey, let's talk about this, right? The roof, come on. And they start scaling the house. And they get on top of the roof. And it says here that they start to remove the roof. <laughs> they start to claw at the, at the thatched roofing above them. And I don't know when, but at some moment, you have to believe that they realize their idea was not thought all the way through, right? They're like digging. And one guy's like, who stood down there to catch him? You know, it's like, who's down there to like, we're going to lower it and we got to catch him and make the introduction. Like, I don't know, but then we'll figure it out. And they're going. And I imagine like just little roof particles like sprinkling in front of Jesus. You know, he's like preaching about the kingdom. Right? And it's just like, it's just like sprinkles. And they're like, oh, it must be a squirrel. I don't know. And all of a sudden, whoosh, sunbeam, newly installed skylight right in front of Jesus. And everybody just, they're stunned. And they look up and there's just four goofy dudes. <laughs> staring through the roof, right? And they're like, it worked. <laughs> and they do it. And so they start to just let the man down. They just start lowering him through the hole, and he gets there, and he's lying in front of Jesus. And if it were me, that would be the moment that I realize, what do I say? I, I, I didn't think this through. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm panicking. Abort. Abort. Lift me up. Pull me back. Pull me back. And before they can pull him back, Jesus speaks, and the room freezes. Before he can go anywhere, Jesus sees something. You see, other people that day, when they, when they saw that, that man, they saw a paralytic. Others, they saw a distraction in the middle of a sermon. Some, I guarantee you, were annoyed at the audacity of this dude, and they just saw a fool. And yet Jesus, he sees this man lying here. He sees the four men above eclipsing this, the, the, light, the light there, and Jesus sees faith. Jesus sees a group of men who are responding to this kingdom, a group of men who are, who are responding not as if it's a fairy tale, but as if it's real. He saw a group of men that dared to believe he sees a group of men who are taking Jesus at his word. They believe that the kingdom is real because Jesus said so. He sees a group of men who came with faith. And friends, I know that that's all they had. All they showed up with that day was faith. Definitely not their intellect on this day. They showed up with faith. And in those few moments, they're learning the most important lesson we can learn. That that is all it takes that's all it takes. All it takes to enter the kingdom is to believe in the king. All it takes is to look to Jesus and say, I believe you are who you said you are, and I dare to believe that you can do what you said you can do. I dare to believe that the Father in heaven really will greet me with grace and mercy and kindness because I'm with his son, Jesus. I dare to believe this. Friend, do you believe this? This man does. He's lying there and he believes with all his heart. And in that moment, before he's ever baptized, in that moment, before he ever does a single good work in the name of the kingdom, before he ever attended a single community group, before he ever donated a single dollar, before he's ever done anything in his kingdom, in this kingdom, Jesus looks at him and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus looks at this man and he pronounces him clean. Your record is erased. Your past is forgotten. God no longer holds your sins against you. You're absolved. Son, you are pardoned. You are debt-free. You are forgiven. And in this moment, this man hears the news that he and God, they're good. Nothing stands between them. Jesus responds to this man's faith with forgiveness. Oh, it's beautiful. It's powerful. But it's also confusing. Because I don't know if that's what the paralytic, paralytic wanted. Is that what he was hoping for when they lowered him through a roof? I mean, this is beautiful. That's nice. But I, I can just imagine the guys looking through going, uh, what do you say? You imagine the people in the room that were like, oh, uh, excuse, should you tell him or should I? Like, I don't think that's why they went through all of these things, Jesus. Ah, man, maybe he's tired. Should somebody tell Jesus? This man is here because he wants his legs restored. That's nice of you, Jesus, but that's not what he wants. And in this moment, in this powerful, pregnant pause, Jesus is teaching them a lesson. They are about to learn that Jesus gives us what we need, not what we want. You see, this man came this morning. He said, man, if only I had better legs, oh, I'd be set. If only I didn't need to depend on someone to carry me everywhere I went, then life would be good. If I only just, man, if I just, if I could just have what I wanted, then everything would be fixed. Just fix this and I can take it from here. I can go on my way and continue to just be my own God. Sound familiar? If only I had, I'd be set. And so they brought their mat to Jesus, right? Imagine, they bring the mat, they're effectively lying it before him, and they go, Jesus, if you could just fix this, that's all I need, I'll be good. And I'm just curious, what would you bring? If there was one thing in your life, they go, Jesus, if you could just, mm, that, then I'll be on my way and take it from here. And so we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, man, if only, if only I had a better family situation, oh, just, if my family wasn't so dysfunctional, if I can just have a, a normal family, if there wasn't so much pain, if there wasn't just so much toxicity, man, Jesus, if, if this was better, I'd be set. We come over here and we say, man, if I just had more money, oh, man, I opened it. And you saw all the butterflies, the moths come through. Man, if I just, like, really what I need is my deepest problem, my biggest need is money. I just have an income problem. So if I had more money, man, life would be good to go. Man, forget about money. If I was smarter, oh, my goodness. If I just had a few more achievements, maybe if I can, like, retain some more knowledge. Look at this. Boom, it's fat. Jesus, if I just, if you can just touch this, if I was smarter, I'd be so much better. We come and we lay down our phones and we go, Lord, if I can just have a few better contacts, if I just had better friends, maybe if I had a contact in my contact book with a few heart emojis before and after, Jesus, that's what I really need, right? Man, if I, man, social media, if I just had more recognition, if I was just more popular, if I was just more. 
man, forget that, Jesus. Here's what I really need, Lord. I'm just going to lay this right here. Uh, you know, I just, if, if I can have a better job, you know, if I had a better workplace environment, if I just, really, that's my biggest problem in life. It's my job. I mean, my job is driving me crazy. If I just had a better job, if I had a workplace that appreciated me and knew how to utilize my talents and gifts, that's what I need. I need a job. No, really, Jesus, if I just was a little bit prettier, you know, mirror, mirror on the, whoa, mirror, mirror on the, whoa, exactly, you know. Man, if I, if I was prettier, if I just had a more symmetrical face like Tom Brady, man, that, that would do it. No, Lord, really, you know what I need? I just, if I was just a little healthier, if I could, you know, if I just maybe lifted a little bit more, if I can lose a few pounds, if I can just get my, my health under control, if I, then this, this is what I need. Just, Jesus, can you just, can you just touch this? And so we all have needs, Right? We all have things that we can call our greatest wish, our greatest hopes. For many of you in this room, this is why you come to God in the first place. These are the pain points in our life that bring us to church in the first place. Because we come and we go, God, I know what can fix my life and you're the only one that can do it. I know what can fix my life and I do acknowledge that you're the only one that can do it. And it sounds good. It sounds like a good start and that is a good start. But Jesus comes, and with this paralytic lying in front of him, he's about to make a powerful statement. He says, you thought that your deepest longing was to walk. You thought that the answer to your deepest aching was this. You thought you knew what you needed. But I'm here to tell you the true answer to your deep ache, the true satisfaction to your longing is actually your relationship with God. We come to Jesus and we lay down these things. If only this, if only this. And Jesus in a powerful statement shows up and he goes, no, if only this. This is your issue. This is your main problem. It's called sin. And so see, many of you here, and you grew up in church, you're like, here we go, sin, the second commandment, the fourth commandment. Sin is more than, hear me, please, sin is more than just your bad behavior. Sin is more than the specific sins and infractions that you commit. I lusted, I lied, I stole. Sin is so much bigger than those instances. Sin is a pervasive condition. It is a natural bent in our heart that causes us to ignore God and to live as if he doesn't exist. Sin is what causes us to live without reference to God, not just the specific bad things. It's a posture that says, I'm going to choose my way, not God's way. And Jesus is here, and he's effectively saying, my mission, my whole entire mission here is to remove the sin that separates you from God. I have come to make you clean. I have come to cure you of your sin. I have come to reconcile you who once were far from God to be in relationship with him. Because of what I do, because of what I'm about to do, you will no longer be strangers and enemies of God. You'll be sons and daughters. And in this relationship, not in these things, in this relationship, you will find satisfaction. In this relationship, you will find the answer to your longings. In me, you will be complete. He didn't come to restore the man's legs. He came to restore the man's soul. 
Church, do you understand what your greatest need is? Are you here this morning thinking, if only, if only, man, do you understand that the greatest need of your soul is only satisfied in Jesus? Or maybe you're here and you're like, well, that sounds great, but I'm way too far gone. (laughs) Oh, man. Maybe you're here, you're carrying the weight of sin and shame, and you know that your past, man, that record, that will always stand between you and God. Your record is too long to be erased. You've done too much to be made clean. And Jesus says, just come to me. Just come to the king. Turn to Jesus and believe his message, because today we learn what everyone in that house learned that day that Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. That Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. What must it have been like for the paralytic who's lying there and he's been overlooked his entire life? How many times has he been passed by on the sidewalk and nobody looks him in the eyes and here he is and God of the universe is looking at him in his eyes? What must it have been like for a man who has accepted his social condition as an outcast and yet he's experiencing the acceptance of God and his family? Here's a man who has just accepted the fact, I'm always going to be a second-class citizen. And Jesus says, no, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. So here he is. This man believes. We see the faith of this man. We see the faith of his friends, and it's powerful, but not everybody responds with faith, do they? Not everybody in that room is going, wow, that's beautiful. There are some guys that they start getting hot and bothered, you know, and they're like, well, who does he think he is? And they never ask the question out loud, but Jesus is going to answer it anyway. Look what it says, the second half of our story. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so we're in the room, and now you have the scribes, right? The religious people, they're questioning Jesus. Can he really do this? Who does he think he is? He's telling people that God forgives them? What are you, God? You don't have the authority to do this. This is outside of your jurisdiction. This is beyond your purview. And Jesus is about to respond, and in a powerful way, he says, no, let me explain it to you. The Son has authority to speak for the Father. The Son has authority to speak definitively for the Father. We see the scribes, they don't understand that yet. They're indignant, and you can almost, you can hear them, right? You can just, you can see them agitated, and they're like, excuse me? 
Who does he think he is that he can just speak like that? Does he presume to declare people's sins forgiven? He presumes that he can speak on behalf of God? I want you to imagine that you're here right now, right? And, uh, but last night you were sleeping. And in the middle of the night, I'm sorry to tell you, but your neighbor broke into your vehicle, smashed the windows. I know, I see your, I'm sorry that you have to find out this way, but your neighbor smashed your window, hot-wired your car, and took it for a joyride through Easton. Oh, what is this? And you left your wallet in the center console. And so he grabs your wallet, maxes out your credit cards. I don't know what's up at 2 in the morning, but Walmart. You know, and he's just buying out Walmart. Just bam, swiping your car, gets back in your car, goes to the Dairy Queen drive-thru. Give me all the ice cream you have. I said, all the ice cream. You know, he's just driving around. And then at 3 in the morning, crashes your car into a ditch. And that's where the police find him. And so the police come to your house this morning. They ring the doorbell and go, hey, Sorry to tell you, but your neighbor stole your vehicle, maxed out your credit cards, totaled the car, and we found him in a ditch. And you're like, oh my gosh. And he goes, whoa, 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 don't worry though. I forgave him. I just, hey, don't stress. I just want you to know I found him and I told him not to worry about it. I told him that we're good. I told him that you no longer, that you no longer owe them a car. You are forgiven and I'm not going to press any charges. Just want you to know I took care of it. And you're like, badge number now, right? You do not have the authority to forgive them on my behalf. And that's exactly what the scribes are saying. You don't have the authority to forgive him on God's behalf. Only God can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Spoiler alert, they're right. We'll get there. And so maybe you're asking the same question that the scribes are asking, right? You're seeing this man, and he's forgiven, and he's absolved, and you're standing in the back of the room, and you're like, am, am I allowed to get in line for that? Like, maybe you're here, and you're like, that sounds so good, but like, is that really how it works? Can Jesus actually do that? You mean to tell me, preacher, that, that all I have to do is come to Jesus, and he has the authority, he has the ability to make it all okay and to, to reconcile me to God? Are you, are you sure that's all it takes? Are you sure that Jesus actually can do that? And so Jesus is going to prove it. He's going to prove it. He, he, he hears their thoughts. Notice, he's perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. I don't know if Jesus is just really good at reading a room. Like maybe he just can like cut the tension with a knife. Like he can read the elephant in the room. Maybe this is, you know, he's using divine omniscience here. Maybe he knows their thoughts. I don't know. But regardless, he knows what's going on in their heads. And he confronts it. He goes, oh, does this make you uncomfortable? Do, do you think there's a problem here with what, with what I'm doing here? And he confronts it. He goes, why do you question these things in your hearts? And he's about to answer the question that they didn't dare ask out loud. And so look what he says to them. He goes, which is easier? He's given them a multiple choice quiz here. Okay, which is easier to tell somebody, hey, your sins are forgiven, or to say, hey, that debilitating disease and condition you have is now gone. You can go home. What's easier? Right? I mean, guys, if I tell somebody that their sins are forgiven, you can't check my work. 
That is not open to inspection. I don't have to prove it. But if I were to say, hey, you're now healed, that's harder to do. It's harder to say that because as soon as you say that, they can check it, right? You need to prove it. They can go and see if it's true. And so Jesus is saying, well, tell you what, you doubt that I can do this thing that you can't see? What if I just do the thing you can see? What if I do the harder thing? If I do the miracle that you can now inspect, would you finally trust me that I have the authority to do the very thing you can't inspect? He goes, if I do the harder thing, then would that settle it, that I can also do the easier thing? And in an instant, they're about to know whether or not he actually has this authority and power. And so Jesus says, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you can understand when I pronounce someone clean and forgiven. So you understand that that's within my rightful jurisdiction. And then he turns to the paralytic. And he says, I'm going to prove it to you. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Stand up. Carry your mat. The very mat that carried you in here, carry that mat home to your house. Go home home on the power of your own two legs. A few weeks ago, we saw Jesus speak to sickness, right? And it fled. He spoke to the demons and it fled. Then we saw Jesus not even use his words. He just touched Peter's mother-in-law. At his touch and his will, things happen. And yet here, he doesn't speak to it. He doesn't speak to the condition. He doesn't touch the man. He simply speaks to the man. He just commands it to be so, and the man's body begins to respond to the very voice that spoke creation into existence in the beginning. At his command, the creation starts to shift and conform to the will of the creator, and so his bones become straight. Muscles that were atrophied start to strengthen. Nerve, nerve endings and neurons start to fire and wire together. And this man stands up. As his entire body responds to, in obedience to the voice that spoke it into existence. And so the man rises, carries his mat, and he went out before them all. With his mat under his arm, he walked home for the first time in who knows how long under the power of his own two legs. And he's starting to get a taste. Here he got a glimpse of what life will be like in the kingdom. And what's the reaction? (laughs) Golf clap for Jesus. No, they are amazed. It says they were amazed and they glorified God, meaning they left that day with a greater picture of the power of God. They went to bed that night with a clearer understanding of the identity of this king and the extent of his authority. They left that house now fully understanding that Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. He did this, which we can see There is no limit to his authority. Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. It's within his right to do it. So we've seen the last few weeks that Jesus clearly has authority over evil. 
He has authority over disease, over debilitating conditions. But friends, now we see Jesus teaches us that his authority goes even further than anyone has realized. He forgives sin. He can forgive sin. Remember their question? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And by Jesus showing them, I forgive sin, he's effectively saying, you're right. Who can forgive sin but God? I am God. I am God Almighty standing here. I have the authority to speak for and grant grace from the Father because I am one with the Father. I have authority to forgive sins against God because I am God. Jesus has authority to respond to your faith with forgiveness. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's not just a teacher. He wasn't an influencer in the ancient world. This is God in flesh. This is the Son, the divine King, the second member of the Godhead. And he has come to earth and he's saying, all who turn to me, all who follow me, I will greet you with grace and mercy arms wide open, forgiveness. The air is clear between you and me. Your record is clean. Just come and be reconciled to your creator. Come and experience what it's like to be God's sons and daughters, and I will be your God the way that you were created to be. And so, friend, this morning I ask you, are you reconciled to God? Have you come to him in faith? Have you declared him to be the king of your life? Not you trying to rule and reign over your own life. Not you thinking, man, I know what I need. I know if I can just get this. No, coming and saying, Jesus, you're what I need. Do you know that yet? All who simply believe and turn to him are greeted in grace and mercy. Remember, this man didn't do anything. He was lying there. What a perfect condition of our spiritual condition, right? He wasn't like, Jesus, like I've been working it out. I got my quads a little bit stronger. I've been hitting PT like a boss. Can you just finish it off? I've been working spiritually. I've been going to church. I'm doing the steps. I'm reading the Bible. I'm going to group. Can you just finish it? No, we're lying on our backs. And all we have is the faith to say, I believe. And that's all it takes. That's all it takes. He dared to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He put his faith in the king and he learned that Jesus responds to faith with forgiveness. And so respond, friends. What are you waiting for? Turn, pivot, and come to him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that in this story we see your compassion and your heart for those of us who are far from you. And Lord, we just humbly admit, Lord, we think we know. We think we know what would fix us, and yet we come to you in faith saying, Jesus, you are the answer to my longing. You alone satisfy. And so, Lord, I ask you that you would birth faith in this room, that you would birth faith in this community, that you would save people, that those who feel like they're too far from you would be overwhelmed, that you would overcome their resistance with the beauty of your grace and love. We thank you, Father. We dare to believe that you hear us when we say this because of Jesus. 
So we pray this in his name. Amen. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to respond in a couple of ways here. And so I said earlier, right, that genuine faith always spills over into action. We knew that the men believed because they did something about it. And so I want to call you to action. I want to call you who have faith to respond. You see, Jesus didn't simply wipe your sins under the rug. Wouldn't that be kind of messed up? Like if Jesus was just granting forgiveness and giving the wink and the nod to our sin, isn't that kind of unjust? But you see, Jesus, he didn't sweep our sins under the rug. He carried them on a cross. And in a few pages, we're going to see that Jesus came and he put the sin of the world, all of the sins who had come before him and all of the sins that would come after him, and he carried those on a cross. And so he grants forgiveness, not by sweeping it under the rug, by saying, I took the penalty of your sin. I paid for the car. I reconciled the credit reports. I did it all. It's on me. Your debt is cleared. And so when Jesus forgives us, we believe it because he took it. And so here's the action. If you believe, if you believe that with all of your heart, it's time to go public with your faith. If you believe that, the universal sign for I believe is called water baptism. And we do that regularly here. And if you're at that point in your journey of going, I believe, go public. Tell the world. Tell everyone by getting baptized. And then the second way I want to call you to action is to take communion with us this morning. You don't have to be a member at this church. You just have to be a member of God's family by believing in Jesus, his son. And so if you truly believe that your sins are washed away because of Jesus if you truly believe that God looks at you and welcomes you as a son or daughter, if you dare to believe that Jesus has the authority to take your sins on the cross, then I will invite you to partake in the body and the symbols of his blood that he broke for us. Father, we thank you in remembrance that you've paid for our sins. And as we partake, Lord, we remember that we will do this again with you in paradise. We do this in faith, Lord. We take this in faith, believing that this was enough because you respond to faith with forgiveness. We love you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.